Thank you, Leah and David. Uh, you don't know how appropriate that prayer was. One of our passages today is going to talk about how um, for, for generations there were none who had eyes to see or ears to hear. Um, so that is a good word for us this morning. Thank you, uh, Leah and David, for, for worship this morning. That was excellent. Um, Bethany asked me to remind you, if you've got kids, if you didn't pick up your basket, we've got a basket for each kid in the back and there's activities in there for them to do. Did y'all grab your baskets on your way in? Awesome. Um, anyway, there's stuff. Have all the, y'all can do all the stuff. Um, man, I'm really excited about this coming year. I've been thinking a lot about the book of Hebrews, where we're headed with that. Obviously, been been thinking and talking a lot about um, eldership and what that means for us as a body. I didn't have this written down, but I do want to just, uh, I'm just kind of looking around the room at who is who is here and who's been around for a while. There's only uh, necessarily a few of us that will remember all this of, of where we came from, where our church was launched out of, and all the things that happened prior to that. Um, I don't want to talk negatively about anybody or any church today, and so I'm not going to delve into that. But those of you who are around, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we can have a private conversation later. But um, I want you guys to to know and to feel and to understand that that eldership is, is significant um, for our body, for us as, as individuals, in terms of our relationship with one another. It's significant for me as a person. Um, and so going into this series, uh, you know, obviously I am an elder. I've thought through these things quite a bit, but I've never taught through it. And so there's a bit of apprehension when you teach something new, something, some, some context that you haven't covered, which I've felt that apprehension since I began a being pastor, because I've <laughs> never done this. So that is just kind of normal for me to feel that way. Um, but my, my heart, my, my desire for us in this study um, is that we would see God's heart behind why we have elders as the church universal, specifically for us as TGP. Um, I want us to understand the reason for it, the call of elders, um, the qualifications of elders. Um, last week we talked about the historical and cultural context of eldership, where that came from, why it was important in the Old Testament, what happened during the exile, and then what God did bringing that, that leadership structure back into the new church. And so um, today what we're going to focus on, last week we talked about the reason for where it came from, this week we're going to talk about the call of the elder. Um, and this is one that personally is significant for me. And so today, um, I want you to know as we work through these things that these are, there were questions that were significant to me when we began, I guess it was three years ago. Does that sound about right, Ben? About three years ago or so that, that um, Ben and I were affirmed as elders. Uh, but these were um, just some questions, their thoughts, things that, that I needed to understand. Because I didn't grow up in an elder-led church and I needed to understand this scripture. And so today my goal is we're going to unpack um, quite, a, quite a few p passages so that we can understand why God calls elders. Um, we saw last week that God's people have a long, rich history of, of elder-led um, fellowship. In the Old Testament, those men were given those rights by their families. Um, we talked about that last week. During the exile, that role changed. It was, became aristocratic, very political-based. Um, and we saw all the, the bad things that happened through that. And then after the death of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, as the new church began to grow, God reestablishes this role of elder with, with some, some new parameters. 
Okay, God used that well-known structure, but he redefines the way those elders were brought into leadership and the reason that they were there. And that's what we want to focus on um, these last two weeks of, of our talks on elders. Um, so today we're going to talk about the reason. Next week we'll talk about the way that you become an elder and the qualifications for that. So uh, once again, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. So go ahead and get your app out and get it ready or you can read it on the screen, whichever you prefer. Um, for the older kids, there's an outline in there. So if you'd like to follow along and fill in the blanks, you can do that. Um, and that's, that outline should also be in the app for the older children in here, the adults who would also like to, to if that's helpful for you. Okay. Um, so elders, let's talk about it. So last week we, we talked about the basis of an elder relationship with the church, right? How there is this relational bond that exists between the elders and the people of their church. I had lunch with Jacob Crump this week and we talked kind of through that and what that looks like and why that's significant for me because I've been in big churches with multiple services and I know what it feels like to be disconnected from the people in the body. Um, obviously, I wasn't pastor at those churches, but I was on staff. Um, and, and it's odd to, to say that you're a member of a church where you don't know all the people. I love that God has designed us to be a small church because I know each and every one of you. I know your names. I know your families. I know your, your story. Um, and that is, that's significant. But during, during the exile specifically, the role changed and it was no longer relational. It became political. And so those people that were put in power, it was put in, they were put there because of prestige or wealth or various other reasons. And because of that, because they were chosen in that way, there was a, an abuse of power that happened. Um, there was favoritism. There was neglect. And so when the church is forming, there became a need for leadership again, but not more of the same, right? They'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt. God wanted to do something new. And so God's going to establish this new kind of eldership. Um, and, he, and he's choosing those leaders the, in this way to prevent that abuse and neglect. So the, the first thing I want to talk about today is the need for spiritual leadership um, is the reason for elders, okay? Uh, and that may sound like a no-brainer, right? That you want spiritual leaders in charge of your church, correct? That's a no-brainer. That's, that seems logical, okay? Um, but I don't know if you've read the news recently, or maybe you have some personal experiences, but, but church leadership um, often is not following the Holy Spirit. It's a group of people who have good ideas, um, and they go and they do those things that they feel are best for the church, and sometimes that's good, and, but most of the time it's not. The beauty of the elder-led church is that there is balance, right? And, and to put it in a political term, there's a balance of powers, like, I love the fact in our church that I have the same authority as a group of other men who I know that follow the Lord, that love the Lord. And so the weight of the church doesn't fall solely on me, right? I know that if I step outside of the bounds of what is good and holy, that I got some men that are going to call me on the carpet and say, hey, Will, you better straighten up, buddy. That's not okay. And, and the same is true in the other direction. All too often, there are men that are hungry for power and authority, and unfortunately, they're able to find it in the church. That was true in the New Testament, and it's true today. And for that reason, God tells the apostles to, take very, to pay very close attention to who they're appointing in the role of an elder. And, and I want us to understand that it wasn't just the apostles that went out and, and cherry-picked people and said, okay, this, this man we're going to put in charge here. But the churches were involved with that. No longer was eldership about popularity or prestige or wealth. God instructed the apostles, um, and they listened by appointing men who were qualified by their daily obedience to the Holy Spirit. That is a, a key point, okay? God instructed those apostles, and they looked for men that were daily walking with the Lord. We read a few passages last week, but I want to look at them again so we can see what God is doing. Okay, let's look at 1 Timothy 1, um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 
And Paul says this to Timothy, he said, As I urged you when you, left, when you went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine, or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculation rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. And then jumping down in the chapter to verses 18 and 19, it says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you might fight the good fight, having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. There were many that, that were doing all that they could to take advantage of this new church, this early church. And, and to protect them, Paul tells Timothy to find men that could uphold the truth of the message, that understood the gospel, and that could, could, could proclaim that. We see Paul making this clear distinction between those that are teaching false doctrines or focusing on things that didn't matter with those that, that, um, that had love that came from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from, from sincere faith. One of the primary responsibilities of an elder is to protect the church from those who would lead the church away from the truth of the gospel. God places elders in the church to keep those that were seeking a platform for personal gain from being able to do so. God puts those men in place for that. We see a similar thing happening in Crete when Paul writes to Titus. Look at Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. Paul says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It was necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and commands of people who reject the truth. Look, these are just two examples from two churches in the New Testament. But if we look around, if we look in our own past, we see lots of examples of people taking advantage of the church or people uh, in the church. There were obviously some issues, and we saw last week that the apostles were appointing elders in every new church to safeguard against these problems. There were so many churches uh, today that claim the name of Christ but teach things that are not found in the gospel. Men twist the truth of God's word in ways that make it uh, where they can advance in life, where they take advantage of people. So we as a church also have elders to safeguard the church from being deceived, just like I said a while ago. If I say something that's not accurate, I've got some men around me that are going to call me out on that and say, hey, well, I think you missed it here, or you were being dishonest, or whatever the case may be. That we have that assurity. Our commitment as elders is to God and to the church to do and say what God tells us and nothing more. This is what the early church needed, and so God spoke through the apostles to establish this leadership according to his plan. And God tells the apostles to appoint men and gives them very specific qualifications for those that are be, to be chosen to be appointed. And the second thing I want to look at today is the call of the elder. When we, when we, um, we've now seen the need for elders, but we need to know who God is calling to fulfill those roles. Look with me at, at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to spend most of our time in this text today because there's a couple of really important things that we need to understand about what Paul is communicating to Timothy. 
And I can tell you, for me in particular, this was a significant verse for me, something that I really struggled with um, whenever God was, was working the idea of an elder in me. Okay? 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So for me, as I read this passage a few years ago, there was um, an immediate need to really understand this. There's two words in here that really stand out to me um, that we need to look at closely, okay? And I don't typically do language study, but bear with me today. We're going to do a little language study because it's important to understand what um, Paul is saying here, okay? The first word I want us to look at is the word aspire, I'll be honest, when I hear that word, there's some negative connotations for me. This is just me personal. I don't know how that lands for you. And the reason they have negative connotations is because it, it makes me think that, that if I work really hard for something and that I can, I'm prideful enough to think that I could actually accomplish it. Like I look at that list of qualifications that we see later in this section of 1 Timothy and go, you know, if I'm saying I aspire in my mind, what I'm saying is that Yes, I can do those things. And we're going to look at that list of qualifications. And you've read them before. We read them last week. It's a, it's a tall order, right? And so part of my struggle um, is that I'm personally motivated by checklists. I don't know how you guys get yourself motivated, but I love a good checklist. I got like three different apps that I use, okay? And they all got checklists in them. And it, like, I love Microsoft To Do because when you click something done, it's got this great little tone. Like, it's just, it just feels good to check something off that list, okay? I use it for work every day. So I'm motivated by checklists, and on top of that, we live in a culture that encourages self-promotion, right? And, and you combine those two things, the love of getting stuff done and a culture that says promote yourself, and that, that puts me in a really bad place. That's a bad combination for me, because very quickly what that does is it puts the focus on Will and how much he can get done and how good he has it, it is at getting those things done. So for me, when I read this passage and Paul says, um, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, it causes me to step back. When I read this verse, it makes me feel like I look at this list and think, yeah, I can do that. Not a problem. I can check those things off. This is not what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy. They didn't need anyone in leadership that felt like they had already attained godliness, right? If I stood before you every, every week thinking in my mind, standing in pride and saying, I have fulfilled the qualifications that Paul put in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you would not want to listen to what I had to say. Because my authority would be based on what I think I've accomplished, not on God's authority. The second work I think that we need to look at today is this word desire. We're going to come back and define these in a minute, but I wanted to kind of get both of them out there. He saw in, in that verse, he says, the saying, the, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. This one's a bit more common for us. It's a word that we use. But I had to ask myself when I was going through this, do I just want a position of, of notability? Do I just want a place of authority in the church? Is that my desire? I struggled with this idea before I was ordained, and, and I wanted to be an elder. It was something that, that was in me, but I couldn't tell you why. And that bothered me. And so as we were studying this, Glenn uh, did a sermon series on 1 Timothy three years ago. And I spent a lot of time praying about this and, and asking God to reveal what that, where that desire came from. Is it something of, of God or is it something of will? And as I studied that and as I thought about it, I felt like the Lord revealed to me that that desire 
he put in me. And obviously that gave me peace. But he gave me some greater context in what it meant to, to aspire to be an elder. I want to look closer at those two words. And look, uh, they're going to pop up on the screen. And this is Will's redneck phonetic spelling. This is not like official from the dictionary. This is what I have to do so that I say the words correctly because y'all know I struggle with that. Okay? So the first one is orego. Okay? If you click the button in Logos, that's how it pronounces it. Orego. It's the Greek word that, that is translated here as aspire. And it means to strive for something. A person is moving toward a goal but has not yet attained it. When I saw the word aspire, I thought that it meant the same thing as desire. And in fact, in a few places in Scripture that we're going to see in just a minute, it's, it's also translated as desire. And to further complicate things, I also saw that list of qualifications as something that had to be checked off in order to be qualified. So when I read this passage at the beginning of the qualifications for elder, what I felt like it was saying was, in order to be an elder, you got to be able to say, I've already completed those things. Let's look at another example from Scripture where this word is used so that we can get some more context. Look with me at Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. It says, this all, These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they, are, if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now, here it is, desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Prior to this passage in Hebrews, this, this is chapter 11, you know, the, the, the by faith passages where it, it mentions someone from the Old Testament and said by faith they were able to accomplish these things. Their faith was moving them towards a goal that they could not obtain in their own power. What they were looking forward to was the coming Messiah. They were having faith in the fact that God had made promises to them and they had no power in which to make those promises come about. In verse 16, we see that same word, or ego, that is, is translated there as desire. They were looking forward to something that was better than where they currently were. This is the context into, into which we need to read this passage in First Timothy. So to aspire means that I am motivated by my past experiences with God to want to be more like Him, to look forward to what He can do in and through me. Not that I've accomplished those things, but that God is working in me and he's fueling that desire, not by a desire in me for power, but based on my past experiences. The things that I've experienced with God, that's my motivation. It's not that I've attained it, but I want to move in that direction every day. And in 1 Timothy, when Paul says that someone is aspiring, he's saying that they are living their lives in pursuit of godliness. There's no hint of completion or pride in that word orego. They are living this way for the sake of God's kingdom. And listen, it's good to want to be like Christ, right? We can agree on that. That's a good thing. When we talk about this often, our goal as a church is to know God by experience, abiding in Him, and in doing so, we are made into His likeness. Not because we're trying really hard to be better people but by progressively growing in our knowledge of who He is, by experience, we are made into His likeness. 
And so for me, instead of now feeling guilty about thinking that I was aspiring to be an elder, I realized that there's no reason to feel guilty because Timothy's not, or Paul's not saying to Timothy, go find men that have fit this, that have already accomplished all of these things. He's saying, look for men whose life is this goal. This was a new revelation for me. What I was feeling wasn't a sense of completion, but rather a longing for more of God. That's the root of my desire. I, I love this quote, and I've said it a lot of different ways, but I actually looked it up this week, and it's attributed to Albert Einstein, but he said, once you stop learning, you start dying. Man, what words to live by, both in spiritual life and in life in general. But the moment, think about that in terms of our relationship with God. The moment that we stop learning, we start dying. Our goal is to be in a progressive relationship with God, which means that my aspiration to be an elder was motivated by knowing Him, not a desire for a position. Let me just pause and say this. I know that I'm saying I, and I'm talking about me a lot. That's the only story I got to tell. I'm going to share a little bit of Ben's story in a minute. We had lunch this week. But, but I want you to know that I'm not saying be like me. I'm saying this is where I found my struggle. And I want to talk about these things because as we begin to pray about who God's calling to join us as elders, I want us to know, I want you to know where my struggle was. And I want us to know what kind of questions we ought to ask. Because a question that we need to ask ourselves, everyone, and also of our elders is what is our motivation? Why does someone want to be an elder? Why do we want anything that we want? Honestly answering that, that question for yourself is a good metric to understand where your relationship with God is. If you can honestly answer that question and then look at the answer, it kind of gives you a gauge on where you are in your relationship. All right, so now let's talk about this word desire, okay? Epithemeo, all right? There's Will's redneck translation. Or, or, or uh, what's that word? The word I said a minute ago. Anyway, it's a Greek word translated as desire. And it means to set your heart upon, to long for, to look forward to, to crave, to lust after, or to covet. Now let's get some good, better context because I'll be honest, those last few didn't sound good, did they? You're like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm lusting after this? All right, Matthew chapter 13, verses 12 through 17, because Jesus, Jesus uses this word and we need to understand what he's saying. All right, so this is Matthew 13, verses 12 through 17. For whoever has more, more will, given, will be given to him. And who, he, I'm tongue-tied today, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I love that that's Jesus' answer to why do you teach in parables? Like, wait, what did you just say? Let's keep going. That is why I speak to them in parables, because they are looking, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. For I tell, truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see these things that you've seen, but they didn't see them. To hear the things that you hear but they didn't hear them. That word longed there is that same Greek word, epithemeo, that's translated in our passage in 1 Timothy as desire. Jesus is explaining to his disciples that for generations, many desired to see and to hear the things that they were seeing and hearing. All the prophets of old 
longed for, waited. They craved for the Messiah because they knew that was the fix to the brokenness that they were experiencing in their world. Their craving wasn't for them alone, but for the people of God as well. They wanted their people to know God. And again, we see this idea of looking forward to something. Both of these words, aspire and desire, communicate progression, not completion. It is a longing for something that God can do. And this is an incredibly important distinction because it communicates how we see the elders in our body. We're not elders because we have it all together, because we don't. Okay, just in case you were wondering. We are elders because God has called us to it and we desire to live in obedience. So yesterday, Ben and I were, and Mike were up here working on some stuff at the church and we got done and um, I, I, I kind of swiped Ben to the side and was like, hey, let's go have lunch. Mike, that's why I didn't invite you. I'm sorry. I needed to talk to Ben about some stuff. Um, and Mike had work to do. I already knew that. So yesterday I had lunch with Ben. Because here's the thing. I knew what my struggle was in coming to become an elder and, and Ben and I had had some conversation in the past about where he was and so obviously I'm thinking about these two words aspire and desire and so I asked Ben you know where his heart was in that where he found himself then and where he finds himself now and and his response was I don't at all <laughs> aspire or desire okay what he's saying as we talk through that what Ben was saying is that he does not desire to hold a position of leadership in our church. But what I do know about Ben, and what you guys know about Ben, and what was revealed as we were talking is that, that he has a desire to simply know Jesus and to live in obedience to him. And that's what Timothy is, and that's what Paul is talking about. Ben's desire is to know and love the Lord. I don't know if you guys have watched any Dude Dad videos online. Anybody watch those? Okay, have you seen the one about the sweet spot? Okay, there's the, there's uh, all the guys, wives, you're going to like this, okay? There's the clean clothes, and there's the dirty clothes hamper, and then right next to it is the sweet spot, right? That's where you put the clothes, fellas, that you're not quite done with yet, right? They're not clean, but they're also not dirty, so you put them in the sweet spot because you might wear them again later, right? Guys, come on, give me a hand if you do that. <laughs> Kara's like, I got, I'm in on that too, okay? Look, here's what Ben has discovered, He's not perfect, okay? But he's also got Jesus in his life, so he's not fully dirty. He's in the sweet spot. What Ben has discovered is that living in obedience to God is the sweet spot. And he, and, and he will tell you, if you talk to him about his life, about the decisions that he makes, you're going to realize real quickly that that is the most important thing in his life. That's why God's called him to be an elder. Ben has this amazing heart for God and for other people. And look, if you don't believe me, if you have not heard the story, go ask Ben after the service. Just corner him up. Ask him about leading his boss to Christ, okay? And I can tell you a couple of things are going to happen. One, he's going to cry. And two, you're probably going to cry. And it's going to be a great, great story. You're, you're welcome, Ben. He's going to have lots of great conversations now. Ben was able to lead his boss to Christ, okay? And, and Ben, um, it's hard to get him talking sometimes. But once you do you discover very quickly the heart that he has for God and for God's people. He desires to know God no matter the cost. That's why God called him to be an elder. It's not because Ben wanted to be in a place of leadership because he doesn't. God called Ben and the church affirmed Ben 
because of his heart for God and his heart for people. He leads by example of what it means to walk with God. Okay, and this leads us right into our last point for today. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this for a little bit and then we'll be done. But the last thing I want to talk about today is the heart of an elder. Hopefully you're seeing by now that, that being an elder isn't because you've already made it, because we haven't. But rather it's an acknowledgement that you haven't made it, but you want to be more like Christ every day. And look, I can tell you from personal experience that our elders are not perfect. Okay, and I'm glad that Russ is not here today because he would have amened that. And I'd have had to say something. The priority of our lives, and, and it's evident in, in the way that we live and the choices that we make, is to follow God. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, and when we um, get ready to affirm and ordain elders, we're going to read this passage again because it's so good. But I want us to, to kind of think through this together. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, for me, it's interesting to think about Peter's life. Peter's a pretty popular uh, person in the New Testament. He's, if you'll remember, um, he was one of the first disciples. And when I picture Peter in my mind, he has this dark, leathery skin from years and years of years of fishing on the ocean. I see him um, as a hard man with like an unwavering demeanor. I tried to think of an actor this weekend to, to kind of put that picture in your mind and I couldn't really come up with one. If you have a good one, you can tell me later, okay? But just this, this rock of a man, which is obviously why Jesus called him the rock, right? Okay? Not that rock. Rock of the church. It's a different rock, okay? But I want you to remember about Peter's walk with the Lord. You remember that he rebuked Jesus, right? Which obviously was a big mistake. He falls asleep in the garden. He boldly proclaims his, his commitment to support Christ, but then he denies him three times. He rushes to Jesus' aid and cuts the ear off the soldier, right? We see this man who was bold, and often too bold, or at least bold at the wrong times. In spite of that history, as I read this passage, I feel tenderness. Something is different about the writing of Peter and what I think of, what I picture when I read about his walk with the Lord at the beginning. Something happened in his life. Living with Christ and then receiving the Holy Spirit changed his life. It changed the heart of this hard man who was rash and impulsive, and he changed him into Christ-likeness. I believe that moment on the beach after he denied Jesus, where Jesus has this very close conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? God, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. I think that moment changed everything for Peter. I think when that happened, 
Something changed in Peter's heart. His eyes were open and his ears were open and he was able to see and understand all that Christ had been doing. And then a little while later, the Holy Spirit comes and he's emboldened again, but this time not with his own words, not with his own wisdom, but with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches the gospel and thousands come to know the Lord. But none of that was because of Peter's boldness. That work was because of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, Peter urges his fellow elders to shepherd God's flock well. We're going to look at the qualifications next week, but Peter is addressing, for me, what I feel is the heart behind how elders are to lead. I want to look at three characteristics. The first of that is he says that they need to serve willingly. God does not force us into things, whether it's leadership or in our walk with him. God asks us to do things. He wants us to want to be obedient, but he's not going to force it on us. The last thing he wants and the last thing that we want is someone in leadership in our body that doesn't want to be there because they're not going to lead well. Think about the difference between uh, something you really love doing and something that you really hate doing and the quality of work between those two things. In my mind as I'm thinking about this, I think about the junior high boy whose mom tells him to do the dishes. He's like, fine, I don't want to. We don't want like somebody like that in leadership, right? We want somebody who wants to be there. Peter says, lead as God would have you. And it's a reminder for us to be like Christ. Hashtag, what would Jesus do? That's for all the old people in here, okay? That was before hashtag. I'm trying to bring it together. I'm trying to bring it together. Not only are we to follow Christ's example, but we are to follow his lead. God did not have the apostles just appointing wise men to be elders. They'd already done that and it didn't go well. This new way of having elders required that these men know God and walk with Him daily. And then the last thing he says is to be an example to the flock. And this is a reminder for the elders that the churches are looking to them for leadership. Not just in the decisions that need to be made, but in the way that we live The elders are setting the example. God's desire for an elder is to be one that is loving and serving as Christ did. And look, as an elder, I want to just tell you, that's heavy. And if I stood before you trying to do that in my own power, you would very quickly see a man that would fail. But the only hope that any of us have is to to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ in us is doing that work. And that is our goal, is to be like Christ. This is the heart that we should see in every person that God calls to be an elder. Not that they're perfect, but they have surrendered their life to that end. They're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. But my heart is to know Christ and to make Him known. To live as He lived. We need to see men that are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, not on their own power, not on their own wisdom, and that are pursuing God for the sake of the body as an act of love to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, over these next couple of weeks, as we join together in asking God who he's calling to join the eldership of our church, this is the kind of heart that we need to be finding, is men that love the church. Our church needs elders that know God by experience as they are called to God, by God, to that role and have a heart for Him and for His people. That kind of leadership is going to draw people to the Father, not to men. They're going to be pointing 
to the Father, to the, to the shepherd. Let's pray together as we close out our time today. God, I can only speak on my behalf, but this is such a, um, an important, vital position in our church, God. And it's one that, that we as a church take very, very seriously. And I really um, am thankful for the time that you've given me personally, but for us as a church to really think about what it means to be an elder. God, it's my, my desire for the church. It's my longing that, that we would have a group of men that would want to know you more than anything else. Father, that we would be a group of elders that, that loved you more than anything else. So God, as we are following your lead and in, in, um, asking for more elders, God, I ask that you would be very clear with, with us that are elders now, but also with the body. That you would point us to the men, that you are um, preparing for that role. And God, that, that those men would not be discouraged by the, the qualifications of an elder, not be discouraged by um, what they think that might look like. God, I ask that you would speak truth into their hearts, Father, that you would help them to, to know your will for them. Father, we're completely relying on you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.